Now, the Gospel of Luke is one of my favorites because a lot of things happen in Luke that don't happen anyplace else. But one of the reasons is because Luke says, I'm writing an orderly history. So the first part, which is the Gospel of Luke, tells you about who this person Jesus is. And chapter 2, or book 2, which is the book of Acts, tells you how then the church gets formed. Now, I always say the good news when we read Scripture is we know the story. We've had Easter this year. We've had Pentecost. And we have a tradition that others don't have, but we had Pride Sunday last week. So, you see, we've got a history that tells us God's always doing something and God's present with us. Now, before we get to this particular passage, there are only a couple of things. And I think there are kind of just a couple that are important to give us some context. Now, one is that King Herod is having a hissy fit. Because, you see, he's been told that there's a new Elijah in town. Or one of the ancient prophets has been resurrected and is back. But something's going on and creating him some problems. The other is we've had a transfiguration in which we've had Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus and even confuse the disciples. That's the other thing I like about Mark. The disciples stay clueless for a lot of it, which makes them human. Because I don't know about you, but I know for me, there are times I'm wondering, is this right? Did I hear that? Or did I miss something? And the disciples do that. And the good news is that it says God doesn't expect us to be perfect. God will not abandon us when we question. As a matter of fact, God will be there to help us get to the answer and to what the truth is. And just before Jesus has turned his eyes toward Jerusalem, he has told the disciples about his impending death. Now, we all know that there was a death, but more importantly for us, there was a resurrection. So that death lost its sting, but they had just heard that he was going to have trials and be put to death. But he's turned his face toward Jerusalem. He's turned his face to Jerusalem. He sends out a couple of disciples to the Samaritans. The Samaritans are what I like to call those family members that when we get together, folks go, and you're related to them? Because you see, they've been arguing over whether Jerusalem is the city of God or another city that's further north. So when they hear that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, their reaction is, he got it wrong, and we don't know that we should have him in our house because God may get us. Sound familiar to some of the stuff we hear now? Some of you had friends who, uh, well, I'd like to go and check out Resurrection with you, but you know, you know, you know, I'm hearing these other preachers and pastors say A, B, and C, and I'm not sure I won't get zapped if I go. 
And it's kind of the same thing going on here. But now, if you say there's a new Elijah, of course, folks are going to think about it in terms of what they know. Now, the prophet Elijah, who's one of my favorites, mostly because you get some really neat things going on with him, the prophet of Elijah was the one who called down God's fire. But they were fires of punishment. When Elijah first does it, it's because the prophets of the pagan god Baal, in their few number, like about 500, they're cha he's challenging them. And so they say the real god will send down fire, so Elijah calls forth fire, and they all get, they become toast. They now know who Elijah's god is. The next time Elijah does that is Elijah's the prophet who gets into trouble with the queen Jezebel. I mean, he's running, hiding, trying to keep her from getting him because she is not playing. <laughs> she sends captains with 50 men to get him, and Elijah again calls down fire from God. But then the good news is as we keep reading the story, we find in the prophet Malachi, the third chapter, the words that God is going to send a messenger, and that messenger will be or will have a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire. One that is used to purify, to help shape and mold us into something new. We know also in Pentecost that when they were speaking in tongues, the tongues were as fire. And folks who couldn't understand each other all of a sudden found out that they could. They heard in their own languages. We're going to come back to that one. So we have that going on, but then Jesus meets these other travelers along the road that he says, follow me. One says, I'll go with you wherever you go. And I like the translation from Eugene Peterson because it's really what it's about. It's, are you ready to rough it? This is not always going to be about your comfort. But what I really want to do, too, is kind of say, ah, it's like this story I was reading, and of course I changed it. I had to dress it up for us. It's like saying, I got me a nice pink little canoe. Just the right shade of pink. It's got nice, comfortable seats, and the oars are color-coordinated, and it's festive. And I'm rowing along, and I see Jesus on the bank, and I go, look. Get in my little pink canoe, and I will take you where you want to go. And Jesus looks at me and goes, thank you very much, but what I need you to do is come with me around the corner and get into my canoe, take an oar in my canoe, and go where I want to lead you. Where Jesus wants to lead us is to Jerusalem. 
because that's where we learn those first lessons that can form the building blocks for where we're going in the future. How many times, though, do we say, you know, yeah, I would, but you're moving me out of my comfort zone. My shoe's getting a little tight because you're moving me out of my comfort zone. I'm having a little shortness of breath because you're moving me out of my comfort zone. And part of what Jesus is saying in this passage is, it's about trusting in me, trusting in God, and moving forward. Which is what happens with the third person who says what? Oh yeah, I'll gladly come along, but I got to go home and tell folks what's going on. And he gives that kind of strange thing about, you know, plowing a row and planting seeds. As disciples, we're called to do that, to move forward to plant seeds. Now, a challenge for you, I won't ask you to do it here, but when you get home, and you won't be embarrassed if somebody might see you, Try walking forward with your head turned backwards. Make sure it's a nice clear space and something close by so that when you get ready to tilt over, you can get some support. Now in here, everybody goes, oh yeah, that's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. Then we forget and go, I can't do that. Because see, back here, back then, whenever, somebody did, we did, and that's the only thing we can ever do. But if we face Jerusalem and we're looking to be disciples, God is always leading us to something new. New not just for the sake of being new, but new because it's something more in us moving us more to being who God has created us to be. You know, there's this great example from AA, but I can't use it because I'm in church. But just say, if you sit someplace and the wind is blowing away from you and it smells good, because you don't smell it, it's blowing that way. All of a sudden that wind turns around and blows towards you. Oh, I know. You know that processing plant over there? <laughs> There are days that that plant does what it's supposed to do, and we're all happy. There are days that we, you know, walk out that door and hit that parking lot, and it about slaps us down. Well, it's kind of like that. We're fine in here, but we're not comfortable out there. And so we might decide, maybe I'll stay a little while. Maybe the wind will shift. But God is saying, trust in me. Go forward. Go where I'm leading you. Seize the day. I have a job for you. Now, one of the things I'm known to do is mess around, is mess. Turn to page five in your, you got, you know, y'all have got this bulletin called The Fountain. And on page five, there's this column that says, welcome, 35 years. But I want to draw your attention to this thing that says, about us. 
Now, I'm going to tell you right now so you won't blame somebody else later. When I do a sermon, I don't talk to anybody except God. It's what one person here calls pulling over to the curb. I pull over to the curb and say, okay, God, you're driving, and please give me this message, because usually what happens is I already know, I'm sure, what I'm going to do, and I start writing, and it's like nothing comes. And then in the bizarre moment, like cleaning the house within an inch of its life, I go, ah, that's what you were telling me to do. But we're a church that has a mission and a vision. Now, some of you may ask, well, what does that have to do about discipleship? If we look at that vision, it says we, you know, the vision of Resurrection MCC is to attract people into relationship with God. Now, the reason I like Luke, and particularly I referenced Acts and Pentecost, is when we move outside of our comfort place, it's like bringing in the Gentiles to many of those who form the base of the church. They had a common religious practice that they had done forever. And all of a sudden, we're bringing in folks who some call unclean. So these are not folks like us. Now, remember I told you, Samaritans has always been this love-hate relationship because they're related. They just have a difference of theological outlook. Gentiles are a whole other group of people. Remember, Peter, who's going to see Cornelius to spread the good news, gets all upset because all of a sudden it's like, how am I going to eat? How am I going to eat? How am I going to stay here in this place which is unclean? And God says, what I've made clean, don't you dare decide you're going to change it around. So when we say we're called to attract, it's not about let me go and raid the churches and tell them if you come, you'll hear the right news here. It's about those folks who are out there who are not hearing any message. It's about those folks who make the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Because then I know that I've gotten through and I've done what God's called me to do. Why Jesus faced Jerusalem. Because it's about becoming more than who I am now. That's how we attract. Deciding how we're going to get out of our comfort zones. And talk to those folks who may have never heard about MCC, may have never heard about Resurrection MCC. And I know folks go, oh, no, 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 they're, fo they're folks who've heard. No, they're folks who haven't. Because you haven't walked up to them and said, hello, how are you? Let me tell you about something that's exciting and good in my life. And I'll bet you'll be surprised because if you tell them with honesty and you open yourself up, they'll go, that's a little weird, but I don't know. Maybe I'll go check out what they got going over there. And we talk about radical inclusion. Now, when you put that 
adjective on this is radical inclusion. That says it's not about my comfort. It's not about, well, let me go do something else and we'll think about it. It's about stepping out and trusting that God's in charge and God is leading us someplace that the church was called to go. The church was called to go. We will mature to maturity. We're going to lead folks to maturity. Well, that also includes us. Am I like the procrastinator who says, I'll go but? Or am I the one who offers with excitement and with ease the gifts that God has given me to this community? to help us become who God has called us to be. One of the things that will get any church, trust me, you go to, into an uproar, is figuring out how to do worship. And we have a unique challenge. Because many of us have come from all kinds of different places and we all know how church is supposed to be done. Trust me, I've moderated a bunch of meetings like that. But what worship is about is finding out who we are, moving out of those places that we know into those places where God is, where God's in charge and God's molding and God's shaping us. Having the hair stand up on our neck and go, you know, that's a permanent condition of following Jesus. It keeps me moving because I figure one of these days it'll finally lay back down. And they'll just say, it's the Christian hairdo. And we'll say, that's all right. Watch out when you see it coming. Because you never know when it's resurrection, who may be the one coming forward. But when those opportunities come, it's offering yourself. Jesus offered himself. The disciples offered themselves. They listened to the call and moved forward. Moving. Being out there. I'm going to do it, but let me sit here and I need to catch my breath for six or seven or eight or ten or twenty years. But I'm going to move eventually. And Jesus said, no, plow the field, move forward. I will guide, the Holy Spirit will sustain you. Facing toward Jerusalem, our road to discipleship. You've put it in the vision. Trust that it wasn't just somebody sitting there constantly. You know, contemplating their navel. You prayed on it. You said, this is where we're going. Our challenge is always living in what we say we're going to do and who we are. Trust God. 
It actually can be, easy, can be easier than you think. There are things that may happen in our life, but if we trust in God, I will go through what's there. And I don't go through it alone, because if I'm here with you, you're going to be there supporting me through it. It's about us as community trusting the process, believing that God has brought us here for a purpose and will continue to direct and guide that purpose. So turn your face to Jerusalem. Know that it's going to be an incredible trip. And you're going to look back and go, I wonder why I didn't do this sooner. Amen.